Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, podcasters. Ireland has been hit by a vicious storm. There's electricity cuts all over the West Coast. But it's times like this when you really can rely on the old humble podcast to keep you entertained. Despite all the advances in technology over the years, when the power cut comes, get the old candles out, stick a fire on and gather around and listen to a podcast on your phone, just like our are forefathers you, used to do. Are you, are you completely sure of how podcasts actually work there, Mark? Battery on the phone, right? Battery on the phone, but it's safe the phone dies halfway through the podcast. Average phone battery now lasts, what, two and a half hours? <laughs> well, I mean, if we get in under an hour and a half, say, you'd have to think that, you know, we'll, we'll satisfy most of the needs of our, of our listeners, particularly those on the West Coast. Hi, Ken. Hi, uh, Mark. <laughs> Mark, how you doing? Good, Good to see you. Hi, Murph. Hey there, Marky. Hey there, Kenny. Hey, Karen. How are you? For the final time for a while, I get to welcome you to the show. It's second captain's producer, Mark Horgan, in for the people's champion, Owen McDevitt. Owen will be back doing what he does best on Monday. And Ken, what you do best is predicting the future through your crystal ball. You looked into your postcast award crystal ball on Monday mm-hmm. and we never should have doubted it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe in the God of um, uh, statistical uh, evidence of which way the votes are going to go. Mm. So uh, when... You crunch the numbers, <laughs> in fairness. I'm sorry to be so Nate Silver about it, but uh, when you saw that uh, the Colombians seem to be voting more than the Irish people, I deduced from that that Probably Hamas Rodriguez was getting more votes than uh, Stephanie Roach. Was the actual site of Hamas Rodriguez exactly as the crystal ball had described? Actually, I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't even looking at the TV when he got. I don't know. I was doing something else. I didn't watch all of the awards ceremony. Uh, I mean, it was on in the so, background. So yes, it was exactly as the crystal ball described. Probably. I mean, he was. He he got up there. He was. He was pretty pleased. Uh, I guess. I gather. Um, I you mean, had already seen it, Ken. You didn't. See, you didn't feel the need to watch, to watch it, it again. again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you'd the crystal ball had already shown you everything you'd. Some you'd really amazing things in that awards ceremony, though, including the Swiss singer songwriter. Did you see that guy? Uh, I've heard talk of him. Yes. Oh my God. Describe so, him. So they got this guy. He was like a Swiss Mickey Joe Hart. I don't know. He was obviously somebody's nephew or 
the you know something like this, uh, and he got up and get and sang a song for absolutely no reason. I mean, this is a globally televised event, you know. I mean, I, I don't know how big the audience really is, but you know, they're they're broadcasting to the world. They've got uh, you know Messi and Ronaldo both sitting there watching this utterly ta- utterly talentless Swiss um, aspiring pop star with a big you know like a big acoustic looking guitar singing a ridiculous um, Eurovision type song. Um, and they caught the they caught the image of Ronaldo and Messi both sort of and, and Sergio Ramos. I mean, various of the world's top players looking incredibly bored and disgusted <laughs> with what was happening. But Messi, you could see, had this he had this sort of little pursed face on this sort of. Hmm. Now you can't see what I'm doing, but imagine I'm, I'm sort of narrowing my eyes and pursing my lips, mm. and it didn't it didn't look like he was hugely impressed with what he was seeing. But it was exactly the same expression that he had on when uh, he was on stage. Uh, being introduced. Oh, and uh, one of our contenders for the Ballon d'Or is Lionel Messi. Uh, oh, Lionel, here's a guy here. Before you say anything, here's a message from your coach at Barcelona, Luis Enrique. <laughs> and, you know, you got Luis Enrique going, oh, Messi is the best. Uh, he's, the, you know, he's the best player I've seen. Uh, what, a, what a great player. He deserves to win the Ballon d'Or. And he had exactly the same face on watching Luis Enrique. But it wasn't just his I'm watching something face because they then had a message from Pablo Aymar uh, one of Messi's Messi's hero when he was a mm. kid, the player he wanted to be like, and when he saw Pablo Aymar appear on the screen, his face literally <laughs> lit up. It was wide eyes, big kind of beaming smile. Oh, it's Pablo Aymar! But uh, Luis Enrique and the Swiss singer songwriter both got the same. Well, I mean, he's just expression. withholding Narrow judgment. Hmm. Yeah. No, I don't know if he was withholding judgment. I think he was passing judgment uh, in the way that Lionel Messi does. Uh, we would we saw we got to see with the Imar case how he would have reacted had he been pleased to see Luis Enrique at that time, or and, the Swiss singer song. Well, we know we know that he wasn't. <laughs> nobody <laughs> was pleased to see that guy. But yeah, I mean, an amazing show. You know, you get Manuel Neuer on stage, and you ask him, "So, Manuel, what do you think of Dirk Nowitzki, a German NBA player?" <laughs> <laughs> Well, he is, of course, an excellent player. <laughs> he is a hero to many people in, in Germany. You know, in fairness, Dirk Nowitzki was there giving him a... They, they were like, oh, you know, Germans. Think of Germans abroad. You know, they don't really tend to... They don't really tend to move abroad much. Mm. You know, they're, it's kind of more of a... A lot of them are based in Germany. You know, how many Germans can we get who aren't football players who are, you know, who, who are recognizable to a wider audience? So they obviously settled on uh, Nowitzki. And then they got Neuer to talk about him for a while, while the while the planet sort of <laughs> tapped its foot. <laughs> so yeah, okay, okay, this is going to go on for it. So yeah, not not the best uh, structured show I've ever seen. Now that the voting ceased, is it right that Hamas Rodriguez won the Puskas Award? Well, you can't argue with it, really. Although, I mean, the the deciding criteria seems to have been where the goal was scored. I mean, in the, you know, a goal scored like that in the World Cup. I mean, for instance, Kasami, the Fulham player, scored a better goal than Rodriguez. A very similar goal, but a much more difficult one, where he's running at full health, catches the ball on his chest, and from a ridiculous angle, smashes in a volley. Yeah. Similar type of execution, you know, chest and volley, um, from further out and from a narrow angle, which was unquestionably, in my opinion, a better goal, technically more spectacular. I mean, what Hamas Rodriguez did was spectacular, but for a player like him, easy. That's actually easy. The reason that he doesn't score that kind of goal more often is that the situation doesn't arise. Mm. It's not difficult for him to do what he did. What Kasami did, I think, was better. But Kasami did it playing for Fulham, you know, not playing in the in the World Cup. So in the best league in the world, though, he did it. 
Well, you did it in one of the toughest leagues in the world. Yeah, most exciting, I should say. Most, one of exciting, the leagues most exciting league in the world. In the world with yeah. the most games. But I would say that maybe um, the fact that it didn't have um, banners all around the pitch with the word FIFA written on it, he, he, he scored a goal in a competition where that doesn't happen, yes. may have played quite a large part in... In, uh, in all that Now aside from the crystal ball We also mentioned the movie Foxcatcher on Monday And gave it 7.5 Murphs out of 10 7.5 I believe was my, was my considered decision Well you can go and judge for yourself Because we're giving away a pair of tickets To see the film in the Lighthouse Theatre in Dublin Along with a second captain's t-shirt And mug to three lucky podcasters Who are hungry for free stuff You've got until 5 o'clock today Thursday January 15th To tweet at second captains And use the hashtag free stuff We'll announce three winners before six So tweet us at second captains Use the hashtag free stuff And we'll get back to you And speaking of uh, such free stuff. Mm, by the way, sorry, just before before you go yeah. on, you sh- feel free to use your own ranking uh, system. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. You can give it as many Murphs or as few Murphs as you like. It has to be Murphs. Murphs. No, it has to be Murphs. Okay. Oh, so, so, yeah, actually, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. And speaking of free stuff, I have to give a big thanks. I think... I think a big thanks to Jody Moylan who sent us in a whole batch of shoot and match magazines from the early to mid 90s. Well, obviously, thank you very much, Jody. I mean, it was an amazing gift. They did bring back a lot of memories, Murph. We both used to purchase these regularly. I presume the poster of Paul Ince that you've talked about in the show before, Paul Ince in the bubble bath, that, uh, that <laughs> not, not, came no, from not, one of these, did it? Not shoot and not match, just the official Manchester United magazine. Who put that poster up on the wall? Was it a joint decision by you and John, your brother John to put yeah, it up there? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I didn't even really think about it until many years later when mm. I realised that perhaps. That may have been construed as a little strange. I mean, it's you know, it was a feature article. It wasn't a poster as such, and yet we still felt the need to to put it up on our walls. Was so. the governor mentioned anywhere in the poster? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I think it was just m- more uh, bubble bath related puns as opposed to <laughs> the governor. Um, but I'm sure the governor was mentioned at some stage in the article. I mean, I think it was a it was a, a contractual thing with Paul Ince at the time, so. That it had to, he at all times had to be referred to as the governor. Yeah, I flicked through some of these from Jody and in between features such as That's Life with Paul Warhurst. Uh, <laughs> there were a huge amount of posters of Peter Beagree for some reason. Peter Beagree, yeah. yeah. Well, he, uh, he was at, at one point the most skillful player in English football. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, actually. He, yeah. he would, it was said of Bradford Peter Beagree more times than any other player that he would, he'd beat the player once, then take it back <laughs> to beat him again just for fun. Um, and he would also he also may have been the first man to somersault or cartwheel in celebration oh, yeah. of the goal. He that was he did a proper somersault, not a Robbie Keane. He did no, he he, he did a proper um, sort of not quite Obafemi Martins, but uh, you know he got up there. Mm. He got a Close bit of elevation. Obafemi Martins than Robbie Keane ever got. Yeah, right. I mean Robbie Keane's never done a somersault in which he was at any point. Out of contact with the ground, well, he's it's always a, it's been a tumble. In I mean, it's not really a somersault. Almost it's more like of a tumble. A, almost like he had a caterpillar track attached. You know, he's he likes to be in touch with terra firma. Whereas Peter Beagree, he would sometimes uh, he would got airborne. The time lift off. Ken, I'm interested to know whether 11 or 12 year old Mini Ken used to read such bullshit. Of course, that and uh, Winston Churchill's history of the English speaking peoples. <laughs> <laughs> they were uh, they were the two areas of interest. One for fun. And then one for both uh, for fun. Both for fun. <laughs> yeah, very. You should try try reading at some stage. Actually, of, uh, Winston Churchill's history of the English speaking peoples. How many volumes there, Kenny? It's like four, vo- four volumes. Four volumes. Yeah. Goes written all. in the 1920s. Um, I think written post Second World War. Ah, right. Okay. Winston Churchill won the Nobel Prize for Literature. You know, he was uh, he was a smart man. <laughs> so. Um, 
yeah, worth, uh, worth a look. Speaking of smart men, I think we might just have one of the most interesting Irish coaches in the world on the show today. This guy's worked as a strength and conditioning coach with Bolton Wanderers, head of physical performance with the Welsh international rugby side. He's also worked as a performance consultant with the likes of Liverpool, New York Knicks, Munster Rugby, Jacksonville Jaguars, Cleveland Browns. He was the Dubs elite performance director when they won the All-Ireland in 2013, and he now holds the same role as one of the biggest franchises in world sport. We'll speak to the elite performance director of the San Francisco 49ers. Fergus Connolly on the show a little later. That's a pretty decent CV, Murph. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I mean, if you were uh, to have played in all of those teams, then I would mark you out as perhaps the greatest athlete of all time. Um, but, I mean, working as a performance coach with all of them is pretty good as well. Yeah, we'll try and get an understanding of the differences between top American athletes and our own elite sports people, and we might ask him to fill us in on a few details from his time at Liverpool as well. But right now, let's get to this. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. We're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Touchdown. Hey, Brian Murphy from KMBR in San Francisco is ready to go. How are you doing, Brian? We're doing good, guys, and it's good to hear you boys, Mark and Murph, holding it down. Who needs Owen? You know, tell them to take another. We Brian. were just saying that, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what everyone is saying, Brian. Tell them yeah. to take a few more weeks off. No, no, things are good, boy. We're heck, it's he- heating up. It's, I know the Irish love their football, mm. and we are getting football in shovels, shovels full of football over here, boys. Just quickly before that, have you secured that funding for a two-leg San Fran to Dublin 2015 broadcasting extravaganza yet? It's been seven days, boy. Brian. I tell you what, man, I, you guys brought it up last week, and then there was momentum on Twitter, and it seems like we're all on board. So I don't really yeah. even know what the holdup is at this point. Yeah, we're, we're leaving it in your hands. You've got a... Uh, oh, you've got it's up to me. Your hands deep in the, okay. the greasy tail of <laughs> corporate America, so... Uh, well, you know what? At KMBR, man, based on our budget, I might be able to send you guys a bumper sticker or something. Okay, That's about enough. it. We can somehow uh, uh, put our hand in the cookie jar when nobody's looking. We'll, we'll steal a couple of tickets and make it happen. But until now, it remains... A, a goal on the to-do list. How's that? That's all right. Okay, we want to talk about quarterbacks today, Brian, and two men at very different ends of the spectrum. One on the way up and another who we've spoken about so many times before, but it looks like it could be the end of the road in the NFL for Peyton Manning. Let us gorge on his nightmare game at the weekend against Indianapolis Colts, Brian. Yeah, feast on the carcass of Peyton mm. Manning. My God, and it's like, oh, man. You know, I, I, was, I think I threw this out on Twitter, and it's, it's, it, I'm trying to think. It's hard to think of an analogy to his career, which is so decorated, so exalted, and so disappointing. And I think the only one I can come up with is, uh, is golf's Greg Norman. Mm. And you know what's funny about Greg Norman is, is that I think most people forget that he actually won two majors. You know, he won two ma- For most people, that's a you know, career achievement. Their life is made, and all anybody talks about with Greg Norman is what he didn't do. And all anybody talks about with Peyton Manning, I shouldn't say all, that's an exaggeration. A lot of what people talk about with Peyton Manning is that he only won one Super Bowl. And heck, most people forget that he even won one. He's defined by what we call the one and done over here in the U.S. I don't know if that's a phrase that resonates in the Irish sport. One, in, the, in the single elimination playoff of the NFL, if you lose your first game, you are one and done. And that has happened to him a record nine times now after his Awful performance against the Indianapolis Colts, and I mean, awful. We have, when you watched it, you knew you were like, this is, this is a man 
His gas tank is entirely on empty. He is running out of gas during the game while we're watching. Something is dramatically wrong, and he has since revealed that he had a torn quadriceps muscle. Lord only knows how painful and how debilitating it was, but all he had to do was look at his passes. They were just awful. And it happened to him as the year went on. He was playing hurt, and it just brings to mind the thought of how old he is, how fragile he is, and how any injury can derail him so dramatically. And, and when he's not able to throw the passes he, that he, we've watched for years and years and years, he just looks like an old, sad, feeble man. And that's what he looked like. So huge amount of speculation as to whether or not he can go in 2016, or probably 2015, because we are in January of 2015, the fall of 2015 NFL season. The Denver Broncos have said they want him back. They, meanwhile, fired their coach, or John Fox, or they sort of, quote, mutually parted ways with John Fox. And we don't know who the coach is going to be next year, but John Elway, who runs the Broncos, wants Peyton Manning back. Whether or not Peyton Manning has enough in his gas tank, I don't know. So here we are left with maybe the end of Peyton's career, another ninth, a, a one and done. Just to give you perspective on the one and done, his ninth one and done, and the next closest is four. So wow. by a large margin, he has, he has been a playoff flop. 11 wins and 13 losses, and we define our guys so much. Joe Montana, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tom Brady, how do you do in January? And for Peyton, another chapter of woe. Yeah, and it's interesting as well. Obviously, he came against the Colts, for whom he'd been absolutely brilliant for over a decade. Has the move to Denver, and he, he, he decided to leave the Colts. The Colts went with Andrew Luck, their quarterback, and he's doing uh, just fine at the moment. But... Has the, the time in Denver kind of solidified a couple of things in people, people's heads? I mean, if it was just at the Colts that he suffered all of these one-and-dones, maybe you could say, right, well, he's just been a brilliant regular season player, but when it came to the playoffs, he just didn't have enough quality around him. But for it to happen in Indy and then for it to happen again at Denver, surrounded by the only team in the NFL who had a top-five offense and a top-five defense this year, and still... Manning can't get a victory in the playoffs. Does it? You know, is it even easier now to say right? Maybe it actually is Peyton's fault. All these one and dones. <laughs> it is. I'm telling you, Murph. It really is. It, it, it doesn't speak well of him. And you're right. He, you could say in Indy, well, he never had a great defense with him, and and although he did have some good players on defense there in, in Indianapolis, and so you could at least make that argument. But now that it's happened in two different cities, and the other fact is, is that he did enjoy success last January. He got to the Super Bowl, where he then had an awful, horrific, nightmare Super Bowl against the Seattle Seahawks. So that's another chapter is that when he finally does get to the mountaintop, we're so cruel. You've got to win your championships or you're a bum pretty much in our day and age. In some ways, you're better off not making it. You know, if you're just a guy who just like Drew Brees didn't make it this year, and we still think of him fondly, you know, because he won a Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, by Peyton's in the Super Bowl every – I mean, in the playoffs every year, which is a great achievement – and in many ways, we're penalizing him for being that good because he doesn't make it. But yes, the Denver Broncos had high hopes, but you had a sinking feeling about him as you watched this year. They started off like a house of fire, and wow, look at Peyton still doing it. He's timeless, the fountain of youth. But their last, their second half of the season was a sputtering engine as it was running out of gas and coughing and spitting out exhaust. You could tell that Peyton was not healthy. And when Peyton's not healthy, he doesn't have enough strength or youth to overcome it. They did find a running back, C.J. Anderson, who, who did run well. But again, the truth of the matter is it was just an awful, terrible end. And you bring up also in your question there about Indy and how Andrew Luck is. And that was another, 
I mean, if you want to just talk about like symbolic, it doesn't get much more symbolic. We were joking sort of here on the air, like was it Star Wars or Harry Potter or uh, whatever, uh, The Hobbit, uh, whichever uh, uh, literary or movie force it is where the eventually the king has to be slain by the heir. I don't know, is that Voldemort, Harry Potter, is it uh, Luke and Darth, whatever. But for Andrew Luck to be the guy who KO'd Peyton Manning, uh, that's the guy who Indianapolis flat out said, well, we're dumping Peyton to bring in Andrew Luck. And, you know, some people said, oh, what are you doing? Other people said, oh, that's a pretty smart move. And look what happened on a January Sunday in Denver. Andrew Luck running around like a colt, young and free and smart and mobile and got the world in front of him. He's got 10 more years of goodness to go. And there's Peyton limping, hurt, fluttering his passes. It just didn't get much more starkly symbolic. Yeah, it's always kind of cruel to see players as good as him struggle as badly as he did on Sunday night, Brian. You used the word cruel there. Um, but is it more cruel that his clearly less talented brother Eli will have at least one more Super Bowl than he will? Isn't that funny? I mean, is yeah. that crazy? Because Eli had a bad year this year, and he looked bad, and the Giants haven't made the playoffs in the last couple of years. And yet, Eli with two. It's really confounding, is what it is. It's almost... It is cruel, and it's it's like he must, in his darkest moments, I mean, Peyton seems to be such a secure dude who's so comfortable in his own skin and, you know, the greatest pitch man since, uh, dare I say, since pre-scandal O.J. Simpson, uh, the greatest uh, pitch man football's produced in a while. I mean, not a commercial goes by that he doesn't kill it in. Can, can I People? say, Brian, actually, that yes. but when I was in uh, America just a couple of weeks ago, the only person I saw in more ads than Peyton Manning was actually your own Joe Montana. Ah, he's re- great Joe, Joe Montana. Montana. He's ten times worse than Peyton Manning, if you ask me. They're in some pizza ad together. It looked horrible. Yeah, I was watching it in, the, in the airport yeah, with the, the with the yeah, sound yeah. ad. It still looked terrible. Yeah, the Papa John's ads are uh, those are a little sketchy. I can't say much, but Joe is in a very successful campaign this January for AT and T, featuring great college football stars Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, uh, and himself. And Joe's getting off some pretty deadpan humor. But, yeah, apparently Joe's agent was active recently, and uh, the great Joe Montana has been getting some work. Was he about to get divorced or something? Uh, just the <laughs> level of ads. I don't know. You're talking to a guy who does mattress, uh, mortgages, and uh, cell phones and pizzas here on KMBR. <laughs> so I, I should probably lay low on this one here. Uh, yeah, I've been... I've been happily accepting all the checks they've been giving me. So uh, uh, the pitch is a strong pull, man. Uh, integrity is in short supply around here. But uh, he, uh, Peyton, uh, as a pitch man, it kind of circling back to Eli, although Eli kind of, you know, it's funny. They have that one commercial they do together. It's a football on your phone ad. Eli actually has sort of a goofy deadpan charm himself. The Manning brothers, and we've talked about this in the past, are one of the great families in American sports because their dad is such a likable guy, and he obviously raised three kids who have their heads on straight. So Eli has his own talents. But, yeah, Eli, two rings, Peyton one. It's not going to change. I don't even know if Peyton's going to play next year. If he does, I'll wager you large amounts of money that he does not win a Super Bowl, and Eli will go uh, into the uh, into retirement at some point. Who knows? Eli could maybe even steal another one between now and retirement with more Super Bowls than his brother, and that is a confounding statistic and goes to show you sort of the fickle nature of championships. It gives you a chance to ruminate on all the greats throughout history who never won a championship. And in America, the names are Ted Williams, the, one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived, never won a World Series. Barry Bonds never won a World Series. 
there are Bill uh, Wilt Chamberlain, and uh, he did win an NBA championship, but it took him forever to win an NBA championship. Charles Barkley and Carl Malone never won NBA championships. So there are guys throughout history who have great, uh, unbelievable, legendary Hall of Fame careers, never get to the mountaintop, and yet that kind of circles back to the opening statement I made of the Greg Norman. Peyton did win a championship. Yeah. He did. He won a Super Bowl, <clears throat> and yet all we think about are the ones he didn't. Brian, at the complete opposite end of a footballing career is Cardale Jones. This is a great story. He's a, the Ohio State quarterback who, in just his third ever start, won the College Football National Championship game on Monday night. Uh, they beat Oregon 42-20, and Ohio State basically lost their first-choice quarterback before the season began. And then in the last game of the regular season, they lost their second-choice quarterback. So going into the last three games in a totally new format for college football, they had to play a guy who had never played for them before, and he leads them all the way to the first-ever Super Bowl for college football, and then a win. So tell us about him. I mean, you just laid it out really beautifully. It's true, and it's funny. The amount of eyeballs on that championship game, and you mentioned the first-ever, quote-unquote, Super Bowl for college football. Mm. It was a controversial decision. I supported it all the way. I knew it would be a success. It was a raging success. And Ohio State's coach, Urban Meyer, won the championship for Ohio State. And when he won that game on on Monday night, he said, this is one of the greatest stories in the history of college football. And I thought, well, that's a... uh, that's quite a self-congratulatory statement, you know. Hey, uh, you guys just uh, won the the radio show podcast of the year in Ireland. How do you feel about that? Well, we're one of the great stories in the history of Irish uh, media. You know, it's like you, he, he said it. He was bragging about his, his own team. But he's right because of everything you just said. When you are a team, a college football team with your first-string quarterback, and your first-string quarterback goes down, you are generally 99.999% of the time, you're screwed. Your second-string quarterback is nowhere near as good as your first-string quarterback. Generally, you get these special guys, they go down, you're screwed. There's almost no team that can take a second-string quarterback and win a college championship, or an NFL championship for that matter. Let's throw in the fact that their second-string quarterback had great success, and then he got hurt, and now we're talking to your third-string quarterback. This is, un- this is unheard of. Your third-string quarterback at most colleges is a nobody, what they call a walk-on, somebody who probably doesn't even have a scholarship. He just holds a clipboard. He's just a guy probably in it just to meet chicks, you know. And all of a sudden, this guy, Cardale Jones, walks out there, and his first game is against the Wisconsin Badgers, a really good team in the Big Ten Championship, and they win 59 to nothing. Now, Ohio State's got a great defense, and Urban Meyer's been stockpiling all this talent. But for this kid to go out there and not throw four interceptions and fumble three times in the nerves was stunning. Well, now he's got to go play Alabama in the championship. So that, that win over Wisconsin got Ohio State into the Final Four. Many people thought they didn't deserve it. They were criticized. So they were the, the, the redheaded stepchild of the Final Four. They've got to play Alabama. They've got no chance against Alabama. They're going with their third-string quarterback. They're down 21-6. to six. He leads them to victory. He, now, what's going on? He's now beaten Wisconsin 59 to nothing. He's beaten Alabama from a 21-6 deficit. Now he's got to beat Oregon, and Oregon comes in with all the press clippings and all the flashy offense, and the offense averages over 40 points a game, and they have the Heisman Trophy winner and Marcus Mariota, this great, sleek, fast quarterback out of Hawaii who everybody loves, and Cardale Jones goes out there and kicks everybody's butt. He not only has a rocket arm, not only... Uh, does he make all these great throws and have great decisions? Now, he had a ton of time to throw. His offensive line was amazing in that game. But when he would take off running, it was a sight to behold. Guys, six foot five, six feet, five inches, huge by quarterback standards, 250, 60 pounds, 
monstrous by quarterback standards. I mean, Russell Wilson's like, what, 5'11", 180? This guy's 6'5", 250, and he was taking on defensive linemen in his scrambles and running right over them. It was an amazing performance. It was an amazing story. You throw in the fact that he comes from uh, a rough, rough, rough neighborhood on the east side of Cleveland. He's the sixth of six children from a single mom. You know, he's just one of these guys, and you wonder how these guys achieve these things, and he did. And he's right. Urban Meyer's right. It's one of the great stories in the history of college sports, and Ohio State thumbed their nose at everybody. They're like, oh, you didn't think we deserved to be in the Final Four? Hey, Alabama, bam, you're down. Hey, Oregon, bam, you're down. And, oh, we did it with our third stringer, too. Oh, we're champs. See you later. Bye. <laughs> That's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Great story. Unbelievable, um, compelling action on the football field. And, guys, the college football playoff, a smashing success. Yeah, because it was actually on live over here on ESPN uh, Europe. So I actually sat down and watched the first kind of quarter and a half or so. And uh, it did actually look like an absolutely uh, amazing occasion in the Dallas Cowboys AT, AT&T Stadium. And had that sort of a Super Bowl feel about it, but also retaining some of the qualities of college football, which is, you know, sort of the marching bands, the unbelievably exuberant fans and all the rest of it. Nearly the best of both worlds in a, in a lot of respects. And it just kind of goes to you know, ask the question, why the hell didn't they do this a lot earlier? Um, because <laughs> you know it seemed like yeah, an amazing, yeah. amazing occasion. Well, your analysis is spot on. It's really good, but I'd even say even more about the fact that it combines sort of the best of the majesty of a Super Bowl and that you know an important title is being decided, but the college football atmosphere, and they didn't, because the Super Bowl, the big knock on the Super Bowl that's accurate is that the tickets are mostly given to the NFL sponsors, whether it's Coca-Cola or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft or Apple or whatever, Chevrolet, I don't know. And so you have a lot of fans. There are some fans of the team. It's like 20% for each team, but then 50% are just generally neutral fans. And the environment of the Super Bowl can be pretty weird and, and corporate. But this was the fans and Ohio State's fans, i got to tell you. We do this thing called the Pop Culture Showdown for fun on KMBR, and we try to compare the two schools based on sort of fringe elements like any musical acts that come from their town or movies that were filmed in that town. It's kind of fun. But i got to tell you, in researching Ohio State, that is truly one. I think if Irish people were looking for maybe what, you know, I often recommend like quintessential American sporting experiences, you know, old Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park or, you know, a hockey Rangers game at Madison Square Garden or a Giants game out here in San Francisco on the waterfront. I got to tell you, Ohio State football, when that marching band rolls out that cursive script Ohio and then that major, the drum major tilts his head back and high steps his way out to dot the I and the tuba player dots the I and the 105,000 people are screaming and then everybody sings the fight song, you cannot not get your goosebumps going. It is a great atmosphere, arguably one of the best atmospheres in American sports. And, and it's not going to, to answer your question. The only reason it wasn't around earlier is because there was this sort of cabal, this sort of power cabal of bowls, this bowl system that was making a lot of money for these certain bowls. And they, had, they were powerful enough to lobby against it for years because they were making money. But finally, uh, uh, logic and common sense and enough money gathered up to uh, make a compelling argument for the college football playoff, and now it's a huge moneymaker, which leads us guys finally back to the point of when do the players get a piece of this pie, because now everybody's getting paid but the players. But um, amazing success as far as atmosphere and memories. 
Brian, before we go, it's basically the Super Bowl semi-finals this week. Uh, Seahawks against Green Bay Packers and in the AFC Championship, New England Patriots against Indianapolis Colts. Give us quick predictions here and we'll talk about them next week. Well, I'm so listen, my whole goal is to like, I'm so, I'm, I'm, God, I'm so like, I'm so overcome with pettiness and schadenfreude about the Seattle Seahawks. I'm just so annoyed that they have just completely stomped on my 49ers face, left us in the dust. We had to fire our stinking coach. We're adrift. So I want the Seahawks to go down. I'm like desperate to see the Seahawks go down, but I'm also a realist. They are so, that defense is so incredibly fast and physical. And Aaron Rodgers has a strained calf and he can't move. That is just, to me, that's like lions feeding on gazelles, man. The, the, the Seattle Seahawks defense in that stadium with a limping Aaron Rodgers, no chance. Seahawks win. Unfortunately, the other one I love, Luck and Brady, two great, a young Brady going against old Brady and, uh, and old Luck going versus young Luck. I mean, these are two very similar cerebral guys, but I just think Tom Brady in New England, I, I think, is a more complete team. And as much as Chuck Pagano and the Colts have really impressed me, I love their coach, I love their quarterback, I have a huge man crush on Andrew Luck ever since Stanford. I love watching him play football. He's so smart and he's so clutch. I just think Tom Brady is that guy plus one, and they're just good enough to get him. So what we'll get, if, that, if my predictions come true, is a phenomenal Super Bowl of Brady as the last guy to try to solve this Seattle defense. Because if the Seattle defense does what I think and eats up Aaron Rodgers and then beats Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, they can say, guess what? We're arguably the greatest defense in the history of the NFL because we will have beaten Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in back-to-back Super Bowls. Any questions? Uh, I'm sure Richard Sherman would tell you no more questions. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, do you want to get a shout out to that mattress company endorsed over in San Francisco? <laughs> ah, no, 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 no. Enough of, do enough of that on the end. But yeah. what did we forget? We forgot the movie. We did the mortgage, the pizzas, the phones, the mattresses. <laughs> oh, cars, BMWs. Uh, we could go on and on, guys. Ah, a golf good. mart. We do a golf shop, too. Hey, anybody in Ireland, you want me to pitch your product? Just give me a call. All right? <laughs> That's San Francisco mattress kings, Brian Murphy. There. Thanks a lot, Brian. <laughs> All the best, guys. That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. He's 34 years old. Robbie Keane continues to captivate. That's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah, he's got more of a tandem. Able. Quickly back to the boy Cardale Jones. There, Murph, now a superstar, but previously he was seen as extremely immature. People yeah. thought he wasn't going to make it, uh, make the most of his talents. Uh, yeah, I um, mean, there was one incident in particular. Uh, Told me to read the tweet. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah, you might as well. Okay, he tweeted this inside his first five weeks in the school back in 2012. See if you can spot the parts of the tweet that he capitalized. Why should we have to go to class? We came here to play football. We ain't come to play school. Classes are pointless. <laughs> See, you know, it's uh, anyone who watches college football knows that this is exactly how all of the college athletes think. <laughs> yeah, of course I mean, they do. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's one of those situations where there was just a little too much truth. In the tweet, you know, he just brought the truth a little too forcefully I'm there. guessing the Dean and some college squares didn't like that kind of blatant jock talk, Mark. No, well, you know, there are two types of people in America, <laughs> Mark. There are the jocks, of which Cardale is without doubt one of them. 
and there are the dorks. And uh, the jocks really appreciated that tweet. You know, they saw where he was coming from. But the dorks, you know, they're not going to enjoy I that. just picture gonna... him walking around campus in one of those jock varsity jackets when he's tweeted that from his phone. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly with two nerds under his arms as well. <laughs> See, that's it. You know, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, Mark, but I mean, it's all, all the truer for that. Where can people watch those games, Murph? Uh, Sky Sports as usual for all of your uh, NFL but the times are a little different uh, given the fact that there are two such huge games they're usually the earlier games and then the slightly later but it's uh, 8 o'clock is the first game that's the Packers at the Seahawks and then 5 past 8 and then it's 22-12 so 11.40 for the Colts and the Patriots so you start a little later but the last game is over a little earlier so there you go Can I confess something? Go on. I did think Greg Norman never won a major. <laughs> I know it. It, it you, you do need to be reminded of it. McDevitt just wouldn't make a mistake like that. Well, that's why I'm being booted out of the studio as soon as this podcast is finished. Don't uh, don't hold yourself up to such such high standards. You yeah, know? the open. He won the open in '86 and '93, and uh, just came second in the seven other majors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, like it's not. You even forget the six other ones that he finished second in. It's basically mm, just Nick Faldo beating the bollocks off him in the last round that Okay, night. at last it's time to hear from the wild geese of this wonderful little country of ours with a little help from one of our greatest ever exports That's right, you're a real Irishman You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine Huh? And the puccine Oh yeah, there you are Bone and bread, yeah in uh, County Meath a place called Navin Afternoon, Kieran so, it's the uh, first Pierce Brosnan immigrant shout-out of the new year, so it's only right that before we begin, we'd like to wish you all a very happy new year from the man himself. And the year always starts with a with a bang for him, because Pierce loves award season, never misses the Golden Globes on television. Uh, I jest, of course, the man <laughs> is a regular attendee at these events, as befits his status as a Hollywood darling. And although he's never, cruelly never been honoured on Oscar night, his natural charisma and good looks are some consolation, at least, for this outrageous oversight. But on with the show, and we'd like to bring you missives from all of the biggest sporting events in the world, so it's only natural that we would have one of our operatives, one of our best men, at the Indian Super League semi-final second leg in Goa. Kieran Bates was that man, and here is his exclusive report for us. Hi there, please find attached my P-Bezzo. It's a photograph of him holding a P-Bezzo sign, so well done to you, Kieran. You've grasped the essential truth of in this the arena. Uh, particular slot. Yes, indeed. Uh, taken at the FC Goa Stadium at the semi-final second leg of the Indian Super League. The real excitement of the night for me was getting to the ground. An Indian friend got one ticket and we went to the ground to try to get another for me. He gave me a lift on the back of his scooter and we left just as it was beginning to get dark. We sped along a narrow potholed road with lots of unmarked speed bumps, dodging around pedestrians, dogs, cows, water buffalo and a herd of goats while other scooters, motorbikes and cars raced past us or were overtaking oncoming traffic on the wrong side of the road. Sounds like a match day in Roscommon, but I go on. Traffic was so lawless that I was half expecting to see Mel Gibson clad in leather and wielding a sawn-off shotgun. We lied to some armed cops about visiting a nearby temple so we could get closer to the ground and finished off the journey by going the wrong way down a dual carriageway. My hands were shaking so much by the time I got there it was all I could do to hold my hashtag P-Bezzle sign steady for the photograph. Somewhere between that and another thrill right home, there was the semi-final second leg of FC Goa versus Atletico de Calcutta. Uh... (laughs) Goa ended up losing a penalty, so it was white knuckle stuff all the way. Regards, Kieran Bates. Now that sounds like something from a Pierce Brosnan era James Bond movie. So congratulations, you have won yourself a hashtag PBezzo t-shirt. And if you want to stay up to date with all of the latest Pierce Brosnan news, don't forget that you can follow the great man on Twitter, at Pierce Brosnan. Uh, and I don't know, you haven't checked uh, checked this out recently, have you? I mean, he's actually quite active on Twitter oh, now. Well, there was a flurry there around the 
releasing this latest movie. kind of three tweets within the first kind of five years there, wasn't there? Yeah, well, there was just one about him heading off to the New York Met or something, and then nothing for five years. But he's he is relatively uh, relatively active at the moment. His short bi- uh, biog says it all. I'm an actor, and I love it. <laughs> so, uh, Classic so Piers. Yeah. If you want to feature in this lot, living abroad is unfortunately a prerequisite. So if you're living in Ireland, Pierce has the following piece of advice for you. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Oh, the range of that Thank man. You, yeah, no, you... I mean, I mean, it, it is. It's, it's true. That's obviously the world famous uh, clip from uh, Taffin. I know. Have you noticed the amount of tweets we get uh, when Taffin comes on the telly now? I know. Ridiculous. It was on over the Christmas and we were... Uh, we were just flooded with with texts and tweets, so we thank you all for uh, your vigilance. In Pierce this area. Uh, seems to be more of an Instagram man. Yeah, he's on Instagram quite a bit, but I mean, there's... he loves photos of beaches, uh, sunsets, palm trees, surfboards, that kind of thing. Don't we all? I felt I was missing something actually, Murph. That Pibezo, you know, because Simon isn't here. Prerequisite mm. was missing at the start. I know, I know, I know. It's 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 our I suppose our little tribute to him that we didn't even try and replace that. Right, it's time to talk to possibly the greatest Pibezo out there right now. At any time, we'd be fascinated in having a chat with elite performance director of one of the world's most high-profile sports teams, the San Francisco 49ers. But even more so, when that person just happens to come with a Monaghan accent. Fergus Connolly, how are you? I'm great, thank you. You haven't got an American twang just yet? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to keep my, <laughs> my Scotstown, my Monaghan accent, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about how a man from Scotstown gets to the 49ers in just a bit. But tell me what the past season has been like in San Francisco. You know, we've spoken a lot to our American correspondent. We had him on the show today, actually. We've discussed how turbulent a year it's been. Have you enjoyed it? Um, yes, I've enjoyed it, but it, it has been a disappointing season. As, as Jed, you know, the owner said, you know, any time the 49ers aren't in a Super Bowl or not winning a Super Bowl, it's, it's not a good year. So, you know, it's a disappointing end to the year and it's far too early for us. I'm sure this is something you have to explain every time you come home to Ireland and it's obviously multifaceted, but tell us, what exactly does an elite performance director do? It's a, it's a new role a new role in the NFL, really, mm. but essentially in uh, American sports, the organisation is divided between the business side and then the football side. And on the football side, you have the, the general manager who oversees the coaching department and then the physical performance department or football operations. And that responsibility of the physical preparation, the medical, the sports science, the psychology, that's the responsibility to manage that and to ensure that the players are best physically prepared to play the game. Is it more that you instigate an overall structure, the things that you mentioned there, or are you dealing in any sort of regular basis with players, uh, one-to-one? Yeah, both, because this is the biggest squad that I've ever had to deal with, 53, so you have to put in place overall structures and systems. And again, you know, I'm not an expert in the sport, so you have to rely on you know, strength coaches, nutritionists, psychologists you know, on, on a one-to-one basis. But then with certain players, with key players who have special issues, that's where you would sit down one-on-one and work with them. And obviously, there's, you know, you prioritize the concerns and the issues. So it's, it's a combination of both. And again, that in itself is a skill, is knowing when to intervene. And sometimes the smartest thing is not to do anything and to stand back and, and let the player, you know, overcome the issue. So, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of systems and then intervening with key players. What's it like dealing with, with high-profile, highly-paid NFL stars and staff, you know, in comparison to your work over this side of the water? Have you had to adapt your own approach and how you communicate very much? Yeah, that was certainly a challenge. But funny, um, you know, one of the coaches said to me towards the end of the season, he said it's almost as though you've been here years, which I took as a compliment because the trick is communication. It doesn't matter, 
you know, how smart I am or what I know or whatever, unless I can communicate with the player. And you would think that, you know, I would have very little in common with a, a 36-year-old from Missouri or a 21-year-old from Alabama. But you, you have to find a way to communicate. You They have to trust you. You have to develop that. And once you get that and once you get over that bridge, then you can make progress with them. So that was the thing that concerned me coming here you know how am I going to be able mm. to do that but it's been good and I've enjoyed it and it's it's been successful and uh, on that front you know how long did it take you to get that trust and, and was there issues at the start um two things I think that the staff here helped me a huge amount you know the the coach in particular you know everybody was supportive everybody knew that I was there to help and the second thing is humor you know you you just got to have a laugh with people and once they you know humor is very disarming you get on well with people and you know that you're there to help them the other big difference between the NFL and most other sports are that, and it's an American thing as well, it's a cultural thing. In the NFL, the contract isn't guaranteed, so the player can be moved at any point in time. So it's in his interest to improve, it's in his interest to get better, mm. whereas in some other sports there's a comfort zone, You know, like for example in soccer or whatever. So these guys are keen to improve, they want to get better. So it's not a hard sell when they know that you're there to make them better, when they know and they recognize very quickly that this guy with the, the different accent and very pale skin, and he can make me better, they'll listen. You know, Maybe that's the bit that surprised me. It's maybe a little bit easier than, than you would think. What about the differences from a self-belief perspective, Fergus? Rightly or wrongly, we often get an impression of the NFL stars as brash, super confident individuals. Do you see a great difference in mindset and confidence from some of the sports people that you've worked with in rugby and GA in Ireland to, say, the 49ers players? Um, from a self-belief no, perspective? Um, no, I think it's funny, the similarities. Like, I had this, this conversation with Frank Gore, who, you know, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with him, but, you know, he's pretty well-known player, but the qualities that he talks about or the things that he, you know, tries to, to maintain in himself are the very same qualities that, you know, that you sit down and talk to Raj, he'll, you know, the same words will come up, Paulie, the same words, and it'll be things like honesty, um, you know, just giving that honest commitment. The same qualities are needed. It's different sport, maybe different background, but their environments have brought those through them. So, no, at, at the end of the day, it's the same quality. You have to have that brutal honesty to be critical of yourself, to go out and, and play honest, honestly. At the end of the day as well, you just got to be prepared to suffer more than the guy in front of you. Those sorts of players that you mentioned, though, O'Gara and Paul O'Connell, they kind of seem like very guys who had naturally had that sort of self-belief always seemed to be winners it wasn't something that had to be drilled into them and the success of Munster in Ireland was dependent on those guys being to the fore um, is, is that the same with all teams you need those sort of natural winners or how much can you grow that within the team and how much is it your, your job to build that within the team well I'm not, I'm not going to speak for either Paul or Raj but in my experience you speak to any elite athlete in quietest moments they will tell you that no matter what the perception is they have doubts you know, nobody has that absolute self-belief. You can prepare yourself to a point where you minimize those negative words. And, and if you've prepared properly and if you've prepared intelligently, that's where that confidence comes from. But everybody's human. Again, it comes back to that honesty. When you cross the line, when you walk up to the tee, when you, when you get into a ring, you know in the back of your mind what you've done. And that's where that trust comes from, trust in your own ability and trust in the work that you've put in. You know, you speak to any of these great athletes, you know, they'll, they'll talk to you about their doubts. Um, they might not show it. That's what makes them different, you know. It's interesting, Fergus, that you're, I mean, the head of the 
you know, Niners physical preparation, but almost everything that you were just talking about there had to do with the psychology of the players. I mean, it sounds almost like a, a dual physical and psychological role that you have. Well, I would argue it's one of the mistakes that many people make. You know, there is no distinction. In many cases, psychology is, is unsolved physiology or can be viewed as that. You can't truthfully distinguish or separate the two. And the more that you understand about physiology, the more you learn about it, the more you understand how they're so closely related. You know, you plenty of studies to show using positive thoughts can influence, you know, hormones or, or, or you know, like testosterone, cortisol, whatever. So, you know, we're starting to learn more and more about how they're, uh, how they're linked. But yes, you, you know, you need a very solid, sensible uh, training plan. But those two things are not in isolation, can't be in isolation. You uh, you mentioned soccer there, the kind of fact that the way the game is structured means that sometimes there's a bit of a comfort zone for players. You did a bit of consulting for uh, Liverpool FC. Did you uh, did you find too many of the individuals you worked with there were maybe feeling a little bit comfortable? Uh, well, the, my very first job in pro sport was was with Bolton Wanderers way back, and I think it was there it surprised me a, a little bit. I think Liverpool's a little bit different. When I went there first, the guy that, and this will probably surprise you, but the, the guy that I had the, probably the greatest respect for was Craig Bellamy. Guys like him are very passionate and want to get better. You know, Stevie as well is another guy who is a very hard worker. It, it all depends on the individual, but there's no doubt that in the NFL, it's so competitive that uh, the NFL player is very keen to improve, you know. Bellamy is someone who, who took a huge interest in physical preparation. I mean, he, he kind of had to because of his um, his problems with injury. And he ended up becoming, working quite closely with Raymond Verheyen, who I'm sure you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And he, he sort of took it very seriously. You mentioned uh, Gerard also was was into it. I mean, you, you're not working with them anymore, so maybe you can tell us why you think they would let a player like that go, uh, given that he's, well, he's 34 years old, 35 in May. Um, with your scientific hat on, would you be looking at it saying, yeah, it's definitely the right time to move this guy on? Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised by the move. I'm very surprised, not alone from the playing perspective. I'm actually very surprised from the leadership point of view. You know, he's a, he's a very quiet, driven person. Craig's not so, not so quiet, I guess, or it wasn't so quiet, but... He loves the game, and I guess at that at this stage he he wants to keep playing it. And I'm surprised that you know they would lose uh, Louis and then Stevie um, so closely together because that leadership is irreplaceable. And if you look at a lot of successful teams, you know they will keep leaders around and in place for the leadership value when perhaps their physical ability has deteriorated. I suppose the leadership uh, shortfall then has to be made up by the manager Brendan Rodgers, who you. Um, obviously would have dealt with uh, in the course of your work with the club. What did you make of, uh, you think he'll be able to shoulder the burden in the absence of Gerard and Suarez? Brendan's an excellent coach, but the other thing that you know you have to keep an eye on with teams as well is that the leadership, once the whistle goes, you know the leadership has to be on the field. And it doesn't matter how, in fact, sometimes it's a, it's a disadvantage when you've got very dominant personalities on the sideline. Uh, uh, not that Brendan is, but sometimes you could if you've got very dominant personalities on the sideline that take a lot of the leadership from Monday to Saturday, on Sunday when the whistle goes, you know, everybody's looking at the sideline, you know, for that leadership. So, you know, when Stevie's not there, I think that's when he'll be missed the most. But, you know, Brendan's a smart guy and he's one of his great skills is his interpersonal skills. And, you know, I'm sure he's got a plan to encourage the leadership from within the squad. 
When did you realise that this was a part of sport that you wanted to get into, Fergus? Did you compete at any sort of level yourself? Did you notice that there were you know, elements of sport that weren't being uh, researched enough or what drew you to sport? I just, I just love human performance. I love helping people win, helping people get better. And I, I really get paid to do my hobby. You know, I, I went to college to do woodwork teaching. I was just going to become a teacher and, and this was to be my hobby, um, playing football, coaching. I guess maybe I, I thought at some stage I'd go back to it, but you know I, I never sat down and pl- planned to end up here as such. You know, so yes, yeah, just it's a hobby that has maybe gone out pretty well. Do you see the 49ers as the peak of sports uh, where you are at the moment, or would you see achieving in sport in Ireland as something that you'd want to do or somewhere you'd want to end up? I, I, I just I love you know I, I love the challenge and, and there's so many things that you know we need to do here. Like like I said, on, you know unless we win a Super Bowl, it's not successful. Um, you know I, I just need to keep getting better. You know I, I need to keep improving. There's so much more that I need to learn, and it's the challenge. I do need a challenge. I need to be kept busy. I get restless when I don't have that in front of me. So around New Year's when we were off, and that that was hard. So you know, I'm happy here for now. Um, and definitely after, like I say, after last season, you know, we're in the middle of reviewing and in the middle of planning how we're going to improve and get better for next year. OK, well, I'm delighted you're doing so well, Fergus. It's really brilliant to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy. Oh, thank you, guys. In the final run of the game. And here. To be sent off. He's going to be yellow card. A gasp. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the duty gears off. You'll ball this game, Campbell. A gasp. Yeah, Fergus Connolly there, studied woodwork and then ended up as the elite performance director for the San Francisco 49ers, Murph. Never give up on your dream of being banished over <laughs> from Milltown Seniors. I know, I mean... I'm, Anything is possible. I'm still a young man uh, in managerial terms, or indeed in elite performance terms. I don't know that Milton have actually ever hired full-time an elite performance coach, but uh, maybe that's, that's the time for uh, 2015. Fergus doesn't notice any real difference confidence-wise between the Irish rugby stars and the American football stars, Murph. So you reckon Robbie Henshaw has the same self-confidence as Richard Sherman? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the media I'd like to, uh, I, you know, I, I'd like to see. You know, maybe, maybe they just express themselves in different ways. I'd love to see him call out Jamie Roberts if he uh, hammers <laughs> him in the Six Nations over the yeah, centre. I mean, well, why not? I mean, I, uh, I thought the Richard Sherman thing last year was hilarious. Uh, this weekend might seem. More hijinks from Richard Sherman. Who knows? Um, if we could bring that in uh, for the duration of the Six Nations, I, would, I, for one, would welcome such a development. Ken, second captain's football is available very shortly. Tell us what's on it. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? Have you ever been working on a project, maybe a long-term sort of a project, and after a while just decided, this is just complete, it's just a complete mess? 
I just wanted to rip it up and start all over again. Yes, uh, my thesis. <laughs> um, you know, that's essentially what we're going to be talking about. Football, maybe, it's just a total mess. Let's rip it up and start over. Uh, Gabriel Marcotti's got some out-there ideas. And uh, <laughs> he's going he's gonna to introduce us to some of those uh, later on. And we'll talk a little bit about one of the big signings of the January transfer window. Which signing? I'm not going to say. You'll have to listen to find out. <laughs> Brilliantly forward-sold there, Ken. Looking forward to those out-there ideas. Right, uh, before we wrap up, tell the people when the big Champions Cup games are on this weekend, Murph. Uh, you could spend all of Saturday, Mark, uh, blissfully watching the Irish rugby teams uh, in uh, European Champions Cup action. Uh, Saracens against Munster is on at 1pm on Saturday and then Ulster against Toulon follows at 3.15 and uh, finally Leinster are at home to cast and that's at half five also on Saturday so they're one after another Uh, Munster are on BT uh, Ulster are on Sky and Leinster are also on Sky so there you go and what about your beloved Connacht are you, have you stopped supporting them now they lost last week because you were, uh, back, you were back supporting them two weeks ago weren't you I, well, I don't know what oh, the sorry, hell you're are, talking it, about are you supporting Leinster now again I, I've, I've remained steadfast I'm a Leinster fan with uh, you know with the uh, uh, ongoing desire to see my home province of Connacht uh, doing well they're playing Exeter uh, on Sunday in the uh, Challenge Cup oh, well covered Jerry Thornley and Shane Horgan looked ahead to those games in depth in our last podcast check it out if you haven't already Oh, McDevitt is back on Monday folks he'll have spent the majority of his holiday keeping up to date with all the latest sports news like the pro <laughs> Fear that. so he'll be raring to go next week tweet us at Second Captains and use the hashtag free stuff if you'd like those tickets to Foxcatcher and the t-shirts otherwise email us at editor at secondcaptains.com and check out our website secondcaptains.com and also have a listen to all the Irish Times podcasts at irishtimes.com forward slash podcast thanks Ken thanks Mark thanks Murph Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, lads, and thank you for listening. Good luck, folks. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 